Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. This is where we look at various nutrition and fitness-related topics through the lens of application. We want to give you practical takeaways so that you can create your healthiest, best self backed by knowledge. Now, on to the episode with your host, Coach Lisa. Podcast. My name is Lisa. I'm your host. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Liz Roman. She is the co-owner of Fit Mom Lifestyle and the co-creator or the creator of the Constipation Cure, which is a free downloadable guide that you guys can get in order to uh, alleviate constipation. So that brings me to her Instagram handle, which is the Poop Queen. I love that handle. And um, I think it's a pretty good introduction into uh, what we're going to be talking about today. So welcome to the show. Liz. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's my absolute pleasure. And before we get into all those um, fine little topics, I would love to hear how you got to where you are today in the sense of business, but also personal health, etc. What brought you to where you are? Absolutely. So I think like anybody in the functional nutrition space, we get into it because of our own story, you know, our own journey, our own struggles. And I was chronically constipated for eight years. Um, in college, you know, I was going to doctors and saying, what is going on? This is not normal. I'm too young for this. I remember sitting at my couch, uh, at my college apartment, calling my dad saying, I cannot prepare for this colonoscopy. This juice, the drink that they were having you take was so terrible. Uh, and he said, babe, we've got to do it. Get a shot glass out pour some shots up and you got to prep, you know, he's like, we, we have to go. Um, and so how to colonoscopy. And of course I left with no answers. Uh, the recommendation was drink more water, eat more fiber, maybe remove FODMAPs and take Miralax. And it worked, but it was also very painful. So for anybody who has struggled with constipation and you've taken something like a Miralax or a very strong laxative, it can inflict a lot of stomach cramping, a lot of pain, and then you're going to the bathroom almost too much, right? It's like a full clean out. And I just thought there's got to be a better way to live. This this cannot be normal. Uh, I was also at the same time struggling with a lot of other symptoms. So I was a little over 200 pounds. I was dieting. I was going to the gym, trying to lose weight. Um, it was happening very, very slowly. And in order for me to get weight off, I was being over obsessive, if you will. Uh, I didn't have a good relationship with food. I was eating as little as I possibly could. And then I started going to the gym twice a day. So very much the under eater over trainer, which we know, I know now can, you know, mess with our hormones a lot. Uh, and I also just felt fatigued. You know, I was ex exhausted. I was tired all the time, brain fog. I had dry skin. I started dealing with um, like skin spots on my back as well. And so long story short, I went to a functional doctor after not getting any solutions for several years, and I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. Ironically, this was my second um, autoimmune condition diagnosis because when I was 11 years old, I was diagnosed with children's rheumatoid arthritis. Went through a lot of things uh, for that, but ultimately I was healed and you know was really doing well and thriving. But in you know my early 20s, this second autoimmune condition um, came and it was really a turning point for me. Uh, and I thought, I've got to figure this out. So I started studying um, nutrition on my own. And that was, oh gosh, like 12, 13 years ago now. And I left my corporate job in 2015 
to do what I do today. And, you know, over the course of the years, I actually did a little research on you, Lisa. We have some similar uh, certification, but over the course of the years, I've really become passionate about the functional side of things. Gut health, um, first and foremost, utilizing functional testing, blood work, GI map stool test or other diagnostic stool tests, things like that. And, you know, of course, hormone tests, um, because with conventional medicine, it's almost as if they are just looking for a label for people. Uh, or maybe you go and you share your symptoms and you're like me and they fall on deaf ears. You're basically left with no help. Um, figure it out on your own, come back in six months, take Miralax. That's all we have for you in terms of you know an answer. And I also can remember talking with my OBGYN about my weight loss struggles. And she just told me two things. Number one is that I wasn't eating in a calorie deficit. And I even pulled up my fitness pal and showed her, yes, I am. You know, and I'm going to the gym twice a day. And she said, well, then you might want to drop your calories a little bit more. Uh, and she said, you also seem like you are, you know, a little bulkier. So you just kind of big boned. And I thought, what the hell? Like, what kind of bedside manner is this, you know? And so I really got fed up. Uh, with the conventional side of things. And that's why I do what I do. And I'm so passionate about it because there's so much that we can do through nutrition to heal our body, but also through natural herbal supports to help the body get out of a place of dysfunction. I love it. I absolutely love it. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. And um, what I haven't mentioned yet is that, well, as someone I've had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, Becca um, is your business partner. And I think um, that combination of hormones and gut paired with just the, the overall umbrella of like, hey, calories, macros, et cetera, I mean, that is beautiful and per perfect, essentially. Um, you can really tackle every issue or every client and uh, client's issue, um, you know, from, from any angle. And it also just exemplifies that it's really a holistic picture. The whole thing of just calories in calories out, um, you know, it, it doesn't, it just simply is not that simple. Um, yeah. If you want a starting point, yes. But for many people like you or I, or when we start seeing those, um, really those big struggles and the sense of relationship with food and over-exercising or under eating as well. Um, I think that that is so key. Um, but yeah, to kind of go right into your specialty in the sense of gut health and digestion, I want to address a question which I think um, everyone kind of has at the back of their mind, and that is how often should we really be going for a number two? Uh, when, what, what's normal? What's not normal? And I realize that there's some individual variance there, but um, I know that there is a thing as such as too much or too frequently, um, and then of course not enough. Sure. So the first answer is that we need to have a full elimination every day. What we want to think about is even though conventional medicine defines constipation as anything less than three bowel movements per week, your poop is metabolic waste products. It is toxins. It is things that we have metabolized in terms of even estrogens. Um, and so a lot of times I see women coming in with like that estrogen belly or estrogen dominance without having PCOS or endometriosis. And we look at their history and they've been constipated, you know, or maybe they have a lot of bacteria in their gut that is also reactivating estrogen. It can just really create a lot of problems and a lot of chaos uh, in the body. And so I define constipation as anything less than one bowel movement 
per day because we really would like to fully eliminate. We can layer in a few things here to say that with the female menstrual cycle, sure, ovulation leading right into menstruation when progesterone is high, which is kind of calming and slows motility, we may miss a day. But we don't want to be missing multiple days. If you are somebody who has a lot of constipation in the later half of your cycle, let's say you know the week before you're getting your period, you find that you're really not going or you're straining to go to the bathroom, you're not fully eliminating, then we may want to use some supplemental supports to help be preventative, right? And stay ahead of that. Because again, the longer that things sit in the colon, the more things will recirculate, the more toxic we become. And also it becomes harder, right? The more constipation um, symptoms that we have, bloating, gas, straining to go to the bathroom, uh, hard stool, it's really uncomfortable. And I think it's also important on that note to say that there can be several types of constipation. It doesn't just have to be the lack of a bowel movement. It can also be the straining. It can be the pebbles. It can be a small amount rather than a full evacuation. So, you know, some people will say, well, I'm not constipated because I go to the bathroom. And actually one of the worst forms of constipation, I'm forgetting the clinical name of it at this moment in time, but is basically diarrhea where you, and this was me, you don't go to the bathroom for a few days and then you kind of have a dumping for a day where you are going three, four times. That might look like urgency. It might look like a straining with small pebbles and then all of a sudden really soft to that watery loose stool uh, or just straight diarrhea where you are still compacted, but because of all of the things coming into the digestive tract, the body says, we've got to eliminate what we can and then you'll get that you know loose stool. So if you are looking at like a Bristol stool chart, the goal is to be around a number four. I always say number four is what we're going for. Um, one to three times a day, easy to pass. It's something that happens ideally within the first hour of waking. Your colon cleanses between 5 and 7 a.m. So we do want to get up, have that good formed uh, bowel movement and feel good, go on with our day, maybe have one or two additional um, that you know are not urgent, but just, again, I get the signal, normal form stool, easy to pass. That's really going to be optimal. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, super clear answer as well. Um, and you touched on a few things such as um, having issues with estrogen if stool lingers for too long in our digestive tract. And I find that super interesting, particularly as I am working with a lot of women in perimenopause and menopause, and I would assume same applies of, for you and Becca as well. Um, so yeah, that's that's I have never heard about that connection in the sense of constipation, although of course I've kind of drawn like correlations in that sense as well, that it tends to be also, you know, you, you often don't know what, what comes first, I guess, is it the lingering stool and then the hormonal, other hormonal issues and weight loss struggles or which way around. Um, maybe you can also uh, just reiterate a little bit the um the issues or what floating stool and small pebbles i guess is associated with because i think a lot of people don't recognize that that's actually not quote unquote normal stool because they still think it's somewhat regular um you know that's just how it's always been i think we we obviously mostly just have our own data to go off with off by so you know if we're thinking about oh it's always been like that so it's got to be normal um but yeah maybe you can explain a little bit um why that's an issue 
Yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind here is lack of bile or mm-hmm. so it could be insufficient bile production from the liver. Uh, it could also be that our bile has become more peanut butter or sludgy like rather than fluid. So bile is a type of gastric juice that is intended to help break down um fatty soluble vitamins and antioxidants. So this is something that's really important, especially if somebody has had their gallbladder removed. So the liver produces bile. The gallbladder's job is to conjugate it, it's to store bile and then release it at the right time in the right amounts when someone is consuming you know, dietary fats. Um, but it also helps us remove estrogens from the body because it helps us clear cholesterol out of the body. It helps bind to other toxins and remove those from the body. And it helps lubricate uh, the colon to give us that nice formed stool. But when we have insufficient bile or we have this kind of, you know, sludgy bile and it's not functioning well, we can end up with those pebbly like stools where we're really straining to go to the bathroom. Um, And so this is where I would say to do a couple of things. Look to support your liver with natural herbal supports. Uh, You can stimulate bile by doing bitter greens at the beginning of your meal or taking digestive bitters. You can do things like lemon water, um, apple cider vinegar. Those can always uh, be just kind of the starting places. But a lot of times what we see when people come in and they've had chronic constipation, not only is it a gut microbiome issue, perhaps dysbiosis, which we'll talk about as well, but also it's a liver gallbladder issue because your liver, if you think about all of the things we're exposed to every day, hundreds of thousands of chemicals, right? Um, things that we ingest, things that we inhale, things that, um, you know, just are around us in our environment, uh, on our skin, things like that. The liver is having to process all of that. And we can really easily become burdened uh, and have poor detoxification abilities, and that's going to impact bile as well. So, you know, we want to think about supporting the liver and reducing, you know, our exposure to things like herbicides, pesticides, endocrine disruptors, tap water, things like that. um, And then giving the body the nutrients that it needs to keep that bile moving fluidly. That's a very good practical takeaway, I think, and people can really, um, yeah, apply uh, or think about which applies to them, I guess. Um, now, when when it comes to constipation, um, I'm sure you have some recommendations as for how can we prevent that long term and what would be the main pillars there, but also if we're constipated Right now, sometimes we just want quick relief. And of course, you can go and get a laxative or whatever. But if we want to try and go the natural route or there might be easier ways, what would be your recommendations there? Yes. So let's start with if I am constipated right now, what are things that I can be doing? I'm a big advocate of food first. So as a functional nutritionist, right, we know that there are so many herbs and supplements and things we can do to support. But if you are number one, not well hydrated, you are still going to struggle. Hydration is key. It is the most vital nutrient to the body. And it also helps us in terms of, you know, not just softening the stool and passing things through the colon uh, or the digestive tract, but it, it helps create gastric juices, right? You can't really expect your body to be fueling efficiently with minimal gas, right? And so we need water, we need electrolytes, specifically we need sodium. 
Um, and so that's going to be tip number one. Uh, number two, if you're at home right now and you're like, okay, uh, what are the things that I could be doing that are in my, my kitchen, um, you know, that I can incorporate two kiwis a day actually has been shown in research to work as more of like an osmotic laxative warm lemon water upon waking or any time of the day can stimulate digestion. You could also use, and this is not necessarily something that tastes great, but you can use olive oil or MCT oil, uh, both of those. So you could take a shot of that, one to two ounces of that before bed. You could do the same in the morning if you don't get a normal formed stool. Um, but you know, we always want to think about the foundations and those would be kind of like the quick things that you could maybe look or maybe have on hand, you know, at home. Otherwise, to triage constipation, I would recommend because it's widely available and you can get it at most stores near pharmacy is magnesium calm. So this is magnesium citrate and it's going to pull water into the bowels, assuming you're hydrated. Um, and so this is what we call the osmotic laxative that can help you, you know, go to the bathroom, but I don't want you to rely on that long-term. Magnesium citrate, you know, it's something that can, if you are just relying on it and you're doing heavy doses of it over time, create lazy bowel. And we don't want to do that. So if you wanted to do something like magnesium glycinate uh, at higher doses, the really cool thing is that first it's going to go to the neurological symptoms. Um, system. And then it's going to, you know, help fill in any gaps because magnesium deficiency is a root cause of constipation for many people and also just a problem for a lot of symptoms in general. So I do like magnesium bisglycinate. Uh, but again, in that moment of triage, I would use uh, the, the calm, the citrate. Awesome. I actually, yeah, I did not know that in the in the sense of not taking magnesium citrate long-term. Um, uh, so that's really interesting that that kind of creates what did you call it lazy lazy bowel yeah we can kind of become reliant on it so like mm -hmm. where our bowels are not you know the nerves are not functioning well as they should be or you know it's impacting our natural uh motility and um you know just thinking about all of the different things that happen in the digestive system we have these kind of 90 minute cycles like peristalsis is what it's called. So these wave-like motions to push things down and through the digestive tract. Um, and, you know, when we're relying on something that is just going to do the job for us, whether that's Miralax, which by the way, most people don't know two things about Miralax. Number one, it can create lazy bowel. And it even says like on their website, you know, you shouldn't be taking this daily. Yet many people do. I think it says three to four days. Um, I could have this wrong, but I think it's three to four days a week is kind of what it's kind of safe for. But they also say to cycle it. So that's one thing about Miralax. The second thing is that pediatricians advise parents to use this, but it's not approved, FDA approved for kids under two. So it begs the question then why are, you know, it's the number one pediatric uh, recommended laxative. It's quite frustrating. But then the other thing is we have to look at what is in uh, Miralax, something called PEG-3350, polyethylene glycol-3350. Uh, this is used in brake fluids and antifreeze. It's very harsh, not something that I, you know, want to be taking. But these are things I didn't know. And I did take it uh, when, you know, I was constipated because of course you're just looking for that really quick relief. So my my preference is, you know, the magnesium calm, the citrate on, um, you know, those triage times, but you always want to be cycling things. You don't want to become reliant on anything. And that actually is going to go alongside something uh, that I think is important to call out with any supplement that you're taking, whether that's a protein powder, it's a collagen that you're taking, a greens powder, kombucha that you're drinking. If you're always taking the same product, 
the same foods or the same supplement with the same ingredients, we can create something called monocolonization. And so we start to lack diversity in our gut microbes. And so when we then are exposed to maybe new fibers or new strands of prebiotics or probiotics, we don't have the bacteria to break those things down. So I'm always talking to my clients about diversify your diet, rotate things. We rotate probiotics, we rotate prebiotics, we rotate, um, you know, everything essentially, because we want to really create a diverse microbiome through diversity of our food and also supplementation. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's that's important to point out, especially for people. I mean, um, when it comes to starting a weight loss journey, I think it can be help helpful simplifying things sometimes and finding, you know, your staple meals um, or just having go-tos basically because sure. we're all busy in, in our day-to-day -day lives. So just grabbing and going is um, often the best thing um, we, we can do. Um, but in that, we probably often get caught in just sticking with the same foods and eating the same thing over and over again. But like you said, it can be simple swaps, just like, you know, if you have your oats and maybe rotating the fruit that you have with it or um the same with your with your dinner maybe instead of always having broccoli which is awesome but maybe changing that for um some asparagus from time to time or you know whatever so um really cool tip here um, and yeah when it comes to long-term practices in the sense of i guess we can tackle it from the other side like where why are so many people especially women constipated on a regular basis, whether that's like several times a year or like you said, chronically as well. Yeah. So I think our hormones do play a really big role, uh, obviously. Um, so there can be a few factors coming to play here, but there's many things that can, you know, cause constipation. And I think the number one thing that we have in our society today is a pandemic of the go, go, go. Mm -hmm. I'm never slowing down. I'm not chewing my food well. I maybe don't make time for myself even to eat, right? I'm on this very erratic, fly by the seat of my pants um, eating schedule. And so when we think about the foundations, um, you know, a lot of times when people come in, it's like, tell me what supplement to take. I'm not giving you any supplement recommendations until we can talk about, are we hydrated? Again, I always come back to water because so many people really walk around dehydrated and don't even know it, right? They struggle to get their water in. Um, but we have to think about our behaviors that are going to support proper motility and digestion in general, because when we can do that, we can also support nutrient absorption. So I have a little saying that I share with a lot of people, and that is, it's one thing to ingest food. You might come in and have the perfect diet, but it's another thing to digest food. And this is especially true. Like I have some um, clients that are like bodybuilders, like, you know, physique competitors, they have great diets, right? They're not um, eating mounds of sugar and fast food and all of those things, but they're not absorbing their food. They're not actually digesting their food. And so some of the behaviors that are going to play a role in this is number one, eating hygiene. So are you able to sit down with your meals, take three to five big breaths to signal your um, nervous system into that rest and digest state, that's really crucial because many people rushing out the door, eating in the car, you know, whatever it might be at their desk, uh, working, right? Just always distracted. And then the second piece with eating hygiene is using your teeth as your mechanical digestion. So we have mechanical digestion and we have chemical digestion. 
your teeth are your mechanics. If you're eating in a rush distract state, I can guarantee, or I would bet a lot of money that you're not properly chewing your food, right? Are you chewing food well enough that it is more of like a smoothie consistency before you're swallowing? And I'll be the first person to admit this is hard. Practice it, it's real hard. Um, you know, and I'm I'm guilty of these things too, and I'll catch myself. Whoa, sister, like slow down. Uh, or sometimes I will say to myself, okay, I have 10 minutes. I know that I cannot sit down and have this meal that I would like to have right now before my next call. So I can have a, a quick, easy to digest snack of some sort. And then I'll come back for the meal when I can uh, sit down. Because if you're not chewing your food well, you're putting a lot of pressure on your chemical digestion. And when we think about chemical digestion, there's a few things that are involved with this. One in your mouth, you have saliva, uh, which has digestive enzymes, and that's going to help you start to break down some of your uh, foods, your fats and your carbohydrates. But then when it enters into the stomach, we need something called stomach acid or hydrochloric acid to help us break down amino acids, uh, proteins specifically, and other foods, as well as signal our pancreas to give us pancreatic enzymes in addition to what the saliva gave us. And bile is another gastric juice here that we've already kind of touched upon that comes from your liver and your gallbladder. But when we are eating in this rushed state, we're constantly stressed, we're in that fight or flight, digestion is not a priority to the body, right? Like I remember um, I made this reel a few years back where I have I'm doing like the mom thing. My child was uh, probably like nine months old. I've got his diaper bag. I've got my Starbucks. And then I got my first form protein bar and I'm rushing out the door, right? My body is not at all concerned at digesting that food, right? It's concerned about basically what it feels ch being chased by a bear. Like, let's get the shit done. Let's let's get to um, where we need to go. And, and so that is going to be huge because stress in and of itself will lower our secretion of those chemical uh, gastric juices. And so that's kind of why I go back to the stress is the number one thing, um, you know, and then obviously we think about uh, from a behavior standpoint, the eating hygiene. So that's kind of like a long answer, but I think it's really important if you could just walk away from this podcast thinking, let me sit down with my meals, take three to five breaths and focus on chewing my food really well. You'll probably find that one you're less bloated and gassy, uh, but two, you have better uh, nutrient absorption and therefore better bowel movements. Really great that you're pointing that out. I think um, it's quite common to see that a client goes on vacation and they actually eat more than they usually do. They feel like they did poorly or they have a guilty conscience, but they come back and the scale might be down and they're like, well, what's happening? Or they're even realizing what well, I was able to go to the bathroom every day and that never happens. Um, so yeah, I really like that you're pointing that out because I think it just makes sense. Like when we're stressed, we take on this like kind of coward position. We're hunched over. Sometimes we might even like hold our midsection, like everything there is just tight. Um, and so it's no surprise that things can't pass like mm -hmm. very fluently I guess um, and yeah I, I also like that you said when you're very stressed and rushed you still have 
a little something that's easy to digest and then you have your meal later because i do think that a lot of women they just push through they think oh, i'll eat later 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 and then it's 4 p.m 5 p.m they come home and either they see want to eat everything that's in sight or they just can't quote unquote can't catch up with their calorie requirements anymore because of course like between coming home doing stuff there and putting putting your kids to bed and then you don't want to eat too close to bedtime either so that's a really good point of just like acknowledging right not every meal needs to be um or I don't need to make a ceremony out of every single meal I can have something that's a little bit more easily easy to digest in, in the meantime um but then I will still make time for that meal later on um yeah and I I think uh, also like that kind of leads me into another question that I had and that was just the most common um I guess gut health issues that are being diagnosed such as SIBO irritable bowel syndrome um leaky gut etc which I think many of which have been linked to high stress levels as well in, in general, but maybe you can yeah, tell us a little bit about the differences and then also how you would tackle each one of them. Yeah, for sure. So let's start with IBS because I love this conversation around the blanket diagnosis. Okay. So you go to the doctor and you're saying, I'm having these symptoms. They maybe do endoscopy. They maybe do a colonoscopy. They maybe do an ultrasound it really depends. I've seen across the board, all kinds of things with my clients, you know, where we have some really good GI doctors and then we have some others that are just very lax and don't give them the time of the day and say, you have IBS. So the patient leaves with a diagnosis, yet nothing to do about it. Um, IBS is really, again, it's a blanket catch-all. It's, it's, we don't know what is going on with you. And a lot of times when we see clients coming in and we we look at their um, stool test, we'll see uh, a few things. We'll see digestive insufficiencies. So perhaps, you know, again, this person has been very stressed and, um, you know, their body has been trying to keep up, but they're not. The pancreas is not doing its job. And so they're experiencing a lot of this bloating and distension and kind of uncomfortable feeling after they eat because their pancreas is not giving the digestive enzymes to break things down appropriately. When we're not able to do that, we also have uh, inflammation that can start to happen in the GI tract. And, you know, this is really important because your GI tract not only helps you break down, digest, and absorb your food, it also houses 80% of your immune system. And so the immune system starts to become overworked and stressed, right? We start to lose our ability to fight uh, viruses, bacteria, parasites, things that we're exposed to every day, all day long. And then that eventually leads to infections, right? And so this is where we get into the conversation of dysbiosis. What bacteria in my microbiome are out of balance or maybe you know really overgrown causing a lot of problems um, and leading to either constipation or diarrhea. Because again, with IBS, they can typically say IBS-C for constipation or IBS-D, diarrhea. They don't know. So it's a BS, in my opinion, catch-all diagnosis. Like, let's look at what is the root cause? What's your microbiome doing? And what is the health uh, of your microbiome? And so we do that with functional testing. It's a stool test that people can do at home gives us so many answers and so many um, insights into what is going on and um, how that would be contributing to their symptoms. And not just GI symptoms, by the way. When we're looking at the gut microbiome, all of the different microbes uh, help us break down 
and digest things like lactose, right? People think they're lactose intolerant. They have a problem with dairy. And it's not in fact that it's the food that they're intolerant to. It's the fact that they either lack the digestive bacteria or enzymes to break those things down. And so therefore, you know, they're causing a reaction. Um, or the immune system, because it has been so worn out and there's this leaky gut, uh, it's allowing things to get into the bloodstream. The immune system's mounting an attack or chemical warfare is what we prefer to call it that is making this person feel very bad and inflamed and joint pain, brain fog, fatigue, hormonal imbalances, skin issues, all kinds of uh, you know things can happen because of this. And so we want to balance the microbiome. Right, we want to look at what's really going on with this person. You mentioned SIBO, which is something that's, um, in my opinion, people will think that SIBO is a root cause and SIBO is not a root cause. SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And it's typically bacteria that's overgrown that actually is commensal to the body. Uh, but too much of a good thing is not a good thing. And this can produce either methane uh, gas or sulfur gas. And so they typically in the conventional medicine world will have people do a breath test. And if they, you know, do this breath test over the course of three hours, reach certain levels of the, um, the, the methane gas, for example, now you're diagnosed with SIBO. And their treatment is typically two antibiotics. Um, same thing with H. pylori. This is a type of bacteria that can burrow in the lining of the stomach. That damages our parietal cells, which produce stomach acid. Um, and their treatment is two antibiotics with a proton pump inhibitor to suppress stomach acid. And a lot of these people relapse because the bacteria form fortresses around themselves called biofilms. You are a nice host. You feed these bacteria what they want. Probably give them sugar. You give them different fats, right? Different types of proteins or carbohydrates. They're happy and they don't want to go anywhere. So they form these fortresses around themselves and these are called biofilms. If we don't break those biofilms down, we are less likely to eradicate that bacteria or get that bacteria in check. The other thing with both of these uh, groups is that we can have antibiotic resistance. And so we can see secondary infections. We can see that actually things get worse because of the antibiotics. Um, I've seen that several times in terms of H. pylori. That's difficult to you know eradicate. And so what we want to look at is why were these things allowed to overgrow in the microbiome in the first place? What is going on with my lifestyle? What is going on with my stomach acid? Uh, many people think that if they have heartburn or acid reflux, it's too much stomach acid. For nine out of 10 people, it's opposite. It's too little stomach acid. So when we have too little stomach acid, we really struggle in several ways. Stomach acid is very protective to us. It helps us kill things off within about 15 seconds. It's actually so acidic that if you were to present your um, like your finger to stomach acid, it would burn your skin off down to the bone. I mean, it's very, very acidic because it's meant to break things down and emulsify foods into these tiny, tiny particles that we can absorb. And so when stomach acid is low, we are more susceptible to infections taking place. These bacteria can survive that environment because it's not as acidic as it should be. And that's kind of how all of this starts. So even when I have people coming in saying, hey, I did antibiotics for H. pylori or I did antibiotics for SIBO, but I relapsed, 
my question to them is, what did you do to repair your gut microbiome? And did you focus on bringing your stomach acid levels up to ensure that they're nice and robust? And conventional medicine misses the mark on both ends um, for those things. And that's a lot of times why we see people relapse. So we're always looking at, you know, the person, their lifestyle, their diet, their stress. Um, and then again, from their testing, what is it that they need to not only eradicate the bacteria, but also then to rebuild, repopulate, repair, and prevent things from happening again, right? Keeping those things that you've changed uh, in place so that you don't relapse. Awesome. Thank you so much. My question here would be, um, how do we bring up our st stomach acid? Is there like in terms of nutrition? Sure. So first and foremost, um, you can stimulate stomach acid uh, naturally with apple cider vinegar. So you could do that two ounces a day, split that up. It's it's pretty acidic, right? I like to put it in um, some water to dilute it. Uh, and obviously it's acidic. So sip it through a straw. Have to say mm -hmm. that for the dentist, right? Uh, but that could be something that can help, you know, support gastric secretions and, and stomach acid. Outside of that, we do uh, present hydrochloric acid in the form of a supplement to clients uh, as long as they are not having heartburn or reflux for at least two weeks prior. So for example, if people who come in, they're up, been on a proton pump inhibitor, this acid reducer for 19 plus years, we have to wean them off of that. Uh, medication and then start to uh, repair the upper esophagus, the upper GI tissue. And once we've done so, now we can bring in hydrochloric acid, like betaine HCL um, is be more of the name for that from a supplement standpoint. And you take that uh, to tolerance. So you kind of titrate up to see, okay, if I'm taking, you typically, they come in like 150 milligram capsules. Uh, if I'm taking three of these, is that enough for me? Uh, maybe... I need a lot. Upper limit is like 6,000 milligrams per meal. So I guess it is that important. So we, we titrate up, we find that level of tolerance. What we're looking for to know that, okay, this was a little bit too much uh, would be reactions like excessive burping, clearing your throat, feeling that heartburn, acid reflux kind of sensation, and then you would back down. So if someone, for example, got to 450 milligrams per meal, they felt that, they would back down to that lower dose and hold there. But I think in terms of just general population, because you really should do that tolerance test with a practitioner supporting, you know, your stomach acid by stress management and apple cider vinegar, lemon water, things like that can be a, a good starting place. Awesome. Thank you. Um, you mentioned a couple of things earlier. So firstly, in your own journey, you said um, you were eating super low calories. And um, I assume, or you, you mentioned that um, your like, typical client also might be over-exercising, under-eating, etc. Um, mm -hmm. So from a mental perspective or from your coaching approach, but also own experience, I guess, how, what's your biggest tip, I guess, in the sense of um, guiding such individuals towards accepting a little bit more food, letting go of, of that control there, and um, also just realizing that maybe um, 
maybe they're too lean, perhaps, um, which I, I guess leads me to a second question. And I, I can reframe that later. But you also mentioned you're working with bodybuilders or, you know, particularly um, bikini athletes, etc. Like people get are teeny tiny and get down to the really, really low levels of body fat percentage. And um, I think in that realm, it's also almost accepted that at a certain stage of dieting, you don't have regular bowel movements. So maybe you can yeah address that separately in the sense of what you do with those um athletes i guess to help support them as best as possible to still have regular bowel movements yeah so i'll answer the first part of your question in terms of being underfed uh this is what i call i mean you're undernourished but most importantly it's deprivation dieting that is exactly what i did i deprived myself of the nutrients that my body needed and i did this in two ways i did it first with calorie restriction but the second way was i was doing a lot of processed foods and so eating things that were frozen meals convenience protein bars things like that a lot of um synthetic ingredients preservatives fortified painted on you know, fibers and uh, vitamins that our body does not recognize. We do not, for example, when people are eating all these like fiber one bars, I remember I would eat those all the time, right? That is not the same type of fiber that you're going to be getting in an apple. Your body doesn't recognize those things. Again, we need to remember they're man-made, okay? And so that is certainly, I think there's there's two things here, right? There's the calorie restriction and then there's the nutrient restriction. And when we think about what your body needs to thrive, we need good mineral balance. We need vitamins, right? We need electrolytes. We need all of these things to really help the body function as the well-oiled engine that it was designed to. And so when we think about, you know, on the topic of this, you know, for constipation, for example, vitamin D deficiency, hypothyroidism, a lot of times that happens because of chronic deprivation dieting and maybe overtraining, right? You just you, you you run through all of the fuel that you have and then you expect your body to be able to continue to drive the car at 60 miles an hour with no gas, right? It's just, it's really um, ignorant of us. And the reason that this has happened in my beliefs is because of our diet culture. You know, growing up for me in the 90s and the 2000s, it was 1200 calories. That's like the magic number that we all heard. We also went through the low fat era. Fat is bad. Everything fat free. We all got fatter. <laughs> Cholesterol got worse, right? Uh, then we've seen protein be demonized. We've seen carbohydrates be demonized and fat is the best thing. And I think it's important to just recognize what our ancestors did, right? They, they hunted, they gathered, they had one ingredient, whole foods, they had seasons where they were feasting. They had seasons where they were fasting. And, you know, a lot of times what we do with our clients is focus on like periodization. Um, there are times, especially if somebody is in a really rocky place, their symptoms are really heavy. They do not feel well at all. The goal is to calm down as much stress and inflammation on the body as we possibly can while giving the body the nourishment that it's been starved of. And if you can do that, and you can do that in the right way, this is going to depend upon the type, the body type, um, you know, how fast or slow we go, and also the mental health of that person, how fast or slow we go. We got to get you nourished because you will just continue to spin your wheels. You're probably going to start gaining weight if you haven't already. You're probably going to start noticing that you are fluffier, you have more water retention, you're catabolizing muscle. So you're losing muscle, you're losing strength, even though you might be doing the same thing that you were doing a year ago when you were really lean. 
Um, and so we want to maximize your nutrient uh, abilities, nutrient absorption, nutrient intake, and you know, nutrients in terms of fuel, right? How are you efficiently burning those things? So coming into the second part of the question here in terms of like the bodybuilders and physique competitors, we see a lot of gut health issues with them because of, yes, the stress, but also monocolonization. They're eating the same thing all the time. One of my greatest stories, I haven't shared her testimonial yet, but um, it was a lady that uh, worked with me. She came in, she was having those really hard pebbly stools and um, we identified several things for her from blood work that were off. Her thyroid was a little bit slow. She was um, actually storing too much iron, which indicates a lot of inflammation in the body. And um, she had a very limited diet because she said, I get constipated if I have more than 14 to 17 grams of fiber. I said, okay. So I didn't tell her what we were doing in the first phase. Um, I just... I give the, uh, the the meal plan, the sample day, the swaps. And I said, I don't want you to track your food. I want you to eat according to this. And let's see what happens. Little did she know she was eating about 45 to 50 grams of fiber a day and her bowels unlocked. Wow. Oh my gosh, I'm having three bowel movements a day. We also supported her liver. We supported bile flow, things like that as well. But she, uh, it was really cool. On our wrap-up call, two things here. She, one was like, I was wrong. It wasn't fiber, right? Fiber is definitely something that I need and helps me a lot with these bulky, you know, solid form stools. And then the second thing was uh, her physique coach came on the wrap-up call and we were able to have the conversation of just how even with her eating more and eating a very diverse diet, her body composition has already changed. Her physique looks better than it did than you know, before she started because she had a lot of infection, she had a lot of inflammation and she was not absorbing things well. So a lot of insufficiencies, kind of like a trio there. And so if we can give the body what it needs to be able to break down, digest and absorb nutrients, we're going to have a much better physique, glowing skin, right? I mean, it, it's just across the board, better balance with our hormones because we are going to the bathroom every day. We're getting all of that metabolic waste out. Um, fiber is really important. You know, it's like a magnet to latch onto toxins and all these things that we need to get them out of the body. So I think it's pretty cool, but you got to trust uh, whoever you're working with. You know, you have to trust the process. You have to be, I think, in great communication, communicate the fears. Uh, if you're coming from that place of, I have a fear of gaining weight, you may need to allow yourself you know, permission to step away from the scale for a period of time to focus more on your biofeedback and maybe your photos rather than the scale because the scale's just a bitch. <laughs> That's a wonderful way to wrap that up. But um, uh, thank you so much. I am honestly also very surprised with the, the story of increasing fibers that much from, you know, 15 grams to 45 or so, um, especially, uh, well, I don't know, I guess that's a, um, a, a question I might have. Did you gradually increase that or literally, you know, more or less from one day to another? Yeah, you're going to want to gradually increase it for sure. Uh, you don't want to hit your microbiome with a ton of fiber if you are constipated. Um, hey, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, guys, my little guy just got home from school. But yeah, you want to gradually increase that and you want to diversify that. So there's also different types of fiber, soluble, insoluble. Some are going to be more bulk forming. Some are going to be, you know, uh, helping you loosen things up. So this is, you know, kind of what we mentioned before about... I'm a busy mom and I'm an entrepreneur and I like the things that I like. And we do find those easy go-to meals. 
think of one to two new foods per week and think of things that you could do, you know, easily. So for example, you're having a yogurt. Okay. Don't buy the same yogurt and eat that every single day, right? Maybe try a different uh, brand or, you know, if you're looking on the back, they have different probiotics in them, right? Uh, different flavors. But more importantly, you know, you could do something along the lines of rotating chia seeds to flax seeds, to pumpkin seeds, to hemp hearts. It's a convenient snack that I have. But now I've just given myself different types of fiber, different kind of um, dosing of the EPA, DHA types of fat, fatty acids, all those types of things. And it could be that simple. It could also be as simple as, hey, this week I'm going to add more cilantro for taco night, right? Um, you know, I'm going to do a mango salsa or a pineapple salsa. Uh, and I think it's important too, on my Instagram, I've talked about this before, but there's many foods that have natural digestive enzymes in them papaya being one of them that's phenomenal, but also like pineapple. And those are really easy things that you could add in. I know a lot of people might fear the sugar from the fruit there, but uh, you know, we need, God made these foods for us in nature to give us what we need, vitamins, minerals, fatty acids, you know, amino acids, all of the things, but we just, we don't eat enough of the good stuff. I think that's the, one of the biggest things with our society. And, and I do see many people with gut issues because of the processed foods, the lack of fiber. And, you know, again, just the body is not able to assimilate any type of nutrients from these fortified, I call them Franken foods. Um, and so that would be another really big thing is kind of evaluate how many processed foods do I have compared to how many things am I eating that are more one ingredient, um, wholesome foods. I don't love when people are like, how many labels are you buying? Well, I'm buying a label when I'm buying chia seeds. I'm <laughs> buying a label when I'm buying Greek yogurt, you know, come on now. Like what we need to think about is look, I always say like, turn it around, look at the ingredients list. I have more than a couple ingredients there, I want to minimize my exposure to those things as much as I can and really try to focus on just minimal ingredients and wholesome food. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Liz. I'm going to definitely um, link your, your constipation cure uh, guide or the link to that in the show notes. And just overall, thank you for coming on everyone. Please go and follow the poop queen on Instagram. <laughs> and of course, um, listen to your and uh, Becca's podcast as well. Uh, remind me again, what was the name of the podcast? The food code the food code. Well, I love it. Um, and yes, so much valuable information here. So truly thank you for your time. And um, I've very much enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. It was so nice to meet you. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review or share the episode on social. Very much appreciated. You can also follow us on Instagram at nutrition, coaching and life, or head to our website, www nutritioncoachingandlife.com, where we provide more valuable content. Have a wonderful day. Now go out and work on your best self.